Hey, it's your host, April. This show, The High Guide, talks about altered states of consciousness brought on by cannabis and psychedelics and is intended for audiences 21 and over. If you've been listening to the show for a while and you like what you hear, please leave us a rating, a review, or a heart wherever you listen to podcasts. And lastly, I'm not a medical professional. If you are experiencing any mental or physical health concerns, please seek a licensed medical professional. Hello, and welcome to the High Guide podcast. I'm your host, April Pride, and today is a bonus episode. It's also a bit different in terms of its format than what you typically hear here. (laughs) I sat down with David Drapkin, who is the Director of Education and Training at Psychedelics Today, which is a podcast about, you guessed it, psychedelics. Recently, Psychedelics Today surveyed 130 students and graduates of the 12-month intensive professional certification program, VITAL, that is part of their ecosystem, I guess you could say. And VITAL focuses on training individuals in the realms of safe, safe, ethical, and effective psychedelic support and integration. The objective of the survey, in part, was to help them understand why so many people are getting involved in the psychedelic field how they're building their careers, and how they are or will be servicing clients, businesses, and communities. A few findings that were revealed that stuck out, 47% of people are not switching careers. They're incorporating psychedelics and altered states into their current career for the first time. Personal experience and success with psychedelics, nearly 87% have been influenced by their own experience. I think it's more interesting that 10% of the people have not had a psychedelic experience that was of any kind (laughs) that has successfully helped them treat a condition or trauma. 50% of participants are interested in working in areas beyond facilitation and therapy, including media, me, academia, biotech, cultivation, marketing, and finance, indicating the breadth and diversity of interest in the field. And this last detail... (laughs) I will get into with David later on in the show, a staggering 98.3% of respondents indicate that making a lot of money is not their primary motivation to enter the field. So please listen on as David and I are in discussion. But first, before David and I do begin our discussion, I want to thank our sponsor of Like Minds, Seattle's trusted source for psilocybin mushroom products. You can find their full menu at oflikeminds.co online, and it's the holidays. They have gift cards. If you don't know what to get that special someone in your life, I bet they would like some magic mushrooms. And I'll tell you what you should actually get them specifically are the museum dose capsules. They're awesome. Let's get even more specific. I would recommend that you get museum dose capsules and a deck of set set and put a date on the calendar to take those capsules together, play set set together. And then I want you to email me directly. You can email me at april at aprilpride.com and tell me what you thought, because that's what we've been doing here in Seattle. And it's really fun, especially on these rainy nights. So do something different this Christmas by an experience that you will never forget of likeminds.co 
You heard it here. Happy holidays. Listen to the conversation. And yeah, send me an email. Tell me what you think. My name is David Drapkin. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. And yeah, I've been, it's like I say, two and a half years. Um, my role now is director of education and training. And I'm just doing things I, I didn't know I could do, I, I would be any good at. And um, yeah, so I'm doing the education piece. I'm leading study groups and helping coordinate lectures, developing training courses, which is like, wow, amazing stuff. I'm so privileged to be doing that. And then podcasting, like, you know, I, I love to talk, I've realized. And uh, it was like overcoming an insecurity of mine around, around just, yeah, talking and stepping up and being seen and being witnessed. So doing things I never thought I, I could do, but I'm really enjoying challenging myself. Great. Yeah. And the the training. So the report that came out, which is the facilitator training component offshoot, perhaps, of Psychedelics Today or Sister Company, I think I might be explaining that correctly, Um you all put out a report because you want to get a feel for, okay, we have 130 participants in this cohort or included in past cohorts that have gone through the training. And what do they look like? What are their motivations for being in the psychedelic industry and for mm -hmm. becoming a facilitator and helping others use these medicines to optimize their life, um, heal from trauma, to begin to step into you know, what their real, their self, their real selves are. And that's, that's, that's one that I um, can relate to. So what were some of your, what is the background? Why did you decide to do this study? What prompted it? And what were some surprise findings? Yeah. So we realize that we are going through something right now. We don't quite know what it's called. Some people call it the psychedelic, psychedelic renaissance or resurgence. But I think it's more than just that that we're going through. And we are, you know, in, in a sense, have a duty, I, th I believe, to try to express what we think we're going through, through the voices of the people that are going to be part of the psychedelic landscape in the next few years. They are the ones around the world building companies, serving their communities and crafting careers out of yeah, their own realities, their own needs, their own experiences of using psychedelics, of doing their own healing. So we said, okay, let's ask our students who are part of Vital or graduated from Vital, our 12-month course, to answer these questions and tell us, who are you? Why do you want to be part of psychedelics? What does that mean to you? What roles do you want to have? What communities do you want to serve? What kinds of vision do you have around the work that you're doing and, and how that's going to help move the needle collectively for humanity? How important is diversity and inclusion to you? Um, so these are, you know, and, and what kind of characteristics do you have as, as a man or a woman or transgender or what sexuality, you know, what kind of income bracket do you have? And so we're really getting a picture of what does this psychedelic workforce look like? Um, and therefore, I think we can extrapolate what is this psychedelic industry and what are these psychedelic ecosystems that are just being kind of cross-pollinated around the world um and i think yeah in a sense we can do some reverse engineering from from that extrapolation to say ah this is what's happening and and this is what at least our 130 students and graduates are using our course and using their own um yeah intuition to build 
And it's beautiful to see, like we, one of the big things that we found out, 98% of our um, participants in the study said they are not interested in financial gain as their primary objective for developing their careers in this way and getting this, you know, psychedelic training course done. It's a 2% said, yes, <laughs> that was probably, you know, one person or two people, and that's totally okay. But I think primarily it's because 84% of people have had their own experiences with psychedelics. That's one of their primary motivators for like why they're entering this space of why they want to give back of why they feel called to change their career or to, to move their career in a new direction. So it's not about money. It's about kind of often service giving mm-hmm. back and expressing and channeling their, their own experiences into some kind of collective container for the long-term growth and transformation of self and the collective. So I want to, I would like to talk about those numbers stuck out to me too. Less than 2% were motivated, had financial motivation. Um, I sold, I've sold three companies um, and one, I guess my, the largest exit I had was to Canopy Growth in 2018. And I personally saw what a financial win does for so many people, not just me. I invested a million dollars in other people's brands and dreams and visions. So when I saw that number, David, I have to tell you, I was very disappointed. Mm. There's a huge opportunity here for generational wealth. And when you have 60, two thirds of the participants are women and the decisions that are being made at the top need to be made with our needs in mind and people aren't motivated by capital and that's the society that we're living in. That really, really struck me. And it may be an unpopular sentiment in this space, but I've seen having worked in the cannabis space in Canada, starting before it was even voted in by parliament and then, you know, through its inaction when it was enacted in um, late 2018, we need money. (laughs) We need people. Money is energy, right? And we want people who can make decisions for those who who are disenfranchised for people who are part of communities that have been marginalized. We need power in those circles. And that is the money is the name of the game. So I'd be curious what, you know, I understand the way that you explained it makes so much sense to me. Of course, you're not motivated by money when your life has been changed by something that is given to you by nature. It's free for everybody, right? And that's what we want to do. We want to be able to make sure more people can heal I think as an as an industry and people who are coming into the industry, I wonder if they realize the opportunities that are really there and the opportunities that they may be passing by, by just money is bad, right? Money creates evil. Yeah, it, it is. It's probably not what we're here to talk about, but it is something that I think is really an important point as we move into a space where there will be more generational wealth created just as there was in cannabis. Yeah. So. Yeah, I really appreciate that reflection, April. It's a, it's a good nuance for us to keep in mind, you know, I think moving out of the shadows of prohibition, the dark ages and yeah. the underground. Yeah, I think we had low expectations. We kept things, you know, very um, hush, hush. And, and I think we are doing things often risking our lives or our licenses and our professions and our freedom to help others. So we're, we're used to doing that in a sense, sacrificing a lot. So perhaps yeah. that that number, that data point does express some of the sacrifice that we're willing to make for others and just to do what is right, whether or not we're, we are reimbursed, just to save a life. 
Yeah. And I've never sold a company. I've got a very complicated relationship with money. Um, and yeah, I, I've gone through a period of my life just totally rejecting it and hating it and yeah. really trying to avoid any kind of responsibility and um, relationship with money, just really being very poor and wanting to be kind of an itinerant beggar at times and homeless, uh, yeah, vagabond traveling through the world because I just could not have a mature relationship with money. And I did not trust myself to be able to earn money, have a family, and now I'm married with kids and I have a mortgage. So I've kind of worked through that personally. But, you know, I think often what we need, as well as, you know, as money is a sense of the meaning, the vision, what does it mean to me? Who am I? And finding a sense of place in the world of what I need as foundations to feel safe in and then to to start to build a bit of a vision that could lead to that yeah um intergenerational wealth because i think we've got lots of intergenerational trauma that we are processing but yeah, yeah that intergenerational kind of in- collective wealth as well so yeah lovely point uh, thank you for that yeah i mean obviously <laughs> having an exit doesn't mean that you've got a healthy relationship with money right or mm-hmm. that you're not working through it um i just have a a real desire for women's needs to be met with these medicines. And I've seen what happens when the decision to invest in research, um, it just isn't prioritized. And so that's, you know, I've got, that's my soapbox that I stand on. I, we really need a lot more medical research specifically when it comes to women and in cannabis and psychedelics. So I look forward to, you know, these channels opening up and academic institutions being able to do more research. I think that's um, that's where we are. And there will be, I would be not be surprised if people who have gone through your training program find themselves researchers or working with researchers or helping to shape some of the studies that will go on to be hugely impactful for how we use this medicine for you know, women, for everybody, for um, non-binary individuals. It, it, the gender it only matters because of biology and we have very specific ways in which these um, natural and and not natural necessarily, but compounds work with our bodies. And we understand how hormones play a huge role in their effect, overall outcome. We know enough to know that we should be asking more questions. So, and seeing that two thirds of your graduates, or at least the participants in this survey were women is fascinating to me. I have a a friend who's at NYU um, in their graduate program to become a therapist and out of 200, two are men. So that's an interesting Mm -hmm. question. We know how important it is. I have two sons and, you know, it is not part of the culture for us to talk about how you're feeling. And in some, in some cases, I think that they are more comfortable talking to women In other cases, I think that it's really important that they're able to talk to a man. And so what can we do to attract more men to become facilitators? Because that role, that masculine energy that we bring, you know, in divine masculine energy that we can bring into ceremony, into one-on-one is, is, it is so, it's so important. So I'm just, you know, I think we're competing with tech jobs <laughs> in my head is what I've told myself. So what do you think it is? Yeah. So I'm a social worker. And when I did my two master's degrees in, in uh, England and Australia, yeah, vast majority were women. And, 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 you know, I, I think it made me feel a little bit safer 
in those learning environments. Mm -hmm. um, and at the same time, I feel like on a global level, we are hopefully, you know, birthing into a new paradigm where there is a greater level of balance between between the poles of of you know kind of gender archetypes but also between the paradigms of yeah capitalism um and post-capitalism and just different versions and iterations of that like you can't get rid of money but we can change our relationship with each other and and the inequality that we've got so mm -hmm. i think my sense with being a man and, and how to bring more men into it is around our relationship with complexity and our and our need for uh certainty <laughs> Yeah. And in a sense, some of the rigidity that men particularly tend to have more of around needing to have answers and needing to mm -hmm. kind of have certainty. Um, and that, I think, is starting to uh, break down, like in our current contemporary society. Yeah, there, there's just too much complexity. And I think we, we've tended to paper it over with some quite superficial veneers of meaning making, um, whether that's sports or you know celebrity culture. You know, just yeah, politics and certain nationalism, things that tend to give us a very easy sense of identity. Oh, yes, I'll subscribe to that one. Great. That's who I am. That is my calling in life. Um, so when we deconstruct that, it's very vulnerable. It's it's really scary. Right. Uh, me personally, I like I got electrocuted when I was 21. I, I'll tell you about it another time. But that was what gave me my life calling. I was going to be a, a multi-millionaire stockbroker you know, mergers and acquisitions guy. I was a bit of a dick, to be honest. And mm -hmm. I was deeply traumatized and had a lot of issues that I just totally swept under the carpet. But being electrocuted made me realize I didn't have a clue who I was or what my life was for. And everything was just a big sham up until that point. And that's why people, in a sense, often find psychedelics gives them that sense of being electrocuted or having the snow globe shaken to get a sense of, oh gosh, I really don't know who I am or what life is for. Oh gosh, it's much greater than I thought, or I have no idea and I really want to know. I really want to be a part of a community that, of where we can just sit with complexity and uncertainty and maybe not even needing to know, just having amazement and awe and wonderment and being able to kind of hold space for that and just right. experience what that feels like. I think like, yeah, let's just do that for a couple of centuries and then I think it will help us out, you know? Oh my goodness. A couple of centuries. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm definitely a, a product of our, let's fix it now. How do we do right. that? You know? Um, but I think that obviously psychedelics helps us to slow down and realize that we're just, we're just getting started. Right. I was, um, I was at the Remind conference, which is part of MJ biz last week. And it was very interesting. People saying, about the cannabis industry. We're just getting started, right? And I'm like, I don't think anyone's going to stop smoking weed anytime soon. And you realize like the alcohol industry is nearly a hundred or is a hundred years old, hundred years old post -pro yeah. prohibition. And, you know, I mean, we are just getting started with cannabis, but you realize like we've been told you're going to miss the opportunity if you don't do this now. And there's, a little bit of a sense of that when I talk to people who are, are like kicking the tires in terms of, should I, should I go into the psychedelic space? They don't necessarily want to be facilitators. I think, um, I think one challenge that people have is what do I want to do with this? Right. I, I like psilocybin. I like MDMA. That would be a cool job is kind of where it starts. But I think what I found have gone to now to four conferences over the past year and people that are in the space and have been for so long, it is, you have to be 
you have to be passionate about the work period. This is really talk about just getting started. This is just getting started. People are just starting to feel, some people are starting to feel comfortable bringing this into the mainstream. And so the 130 participants in your survey, I mean, it would be so fascinating to hear their stories, right? How did you, what, I mean, you probably have heard many of these stories you do know. Um, So what, what now for them, how do they find their first clients? One of the, um, one of the interesting things in the first conference that I went to at Horizons Northwest last September, 2022, that I thought was interesting was so many facilitators were going to continue to operate underground. They were not going to participate in the legal or licensed um, program that was coming out of, of Oregon. And I'm curious, what is, yeah, what are you hearing from your graduates now? Yeah. So a few things I, I'll share. I've been in a really blessed role in psychic today in, in the vital program that I've been the main person interviewing students for it. So they come in for like 20, 30 minutes. It's an interview. Yes. But it's really just getting to know them. Like, who are you? Where are you in the world? And we've had students from, you know, probably over 30 countries around the world enroll. And every student is doing vital or wants to do vital for a different reason. Everyone has a different vision of of who they want to become or why they are doing this work. And it's it's just, it, it's really giving us a sense of, yes, how this landscape is going to evolve. So, you know, we've had folks that are now, we've got one graduate that is, has opened up a, an entheogenic church in Texas for veterans and first responders. We've got another graduate, you know, who is from New York city and she opened up a, yeah, a cannabis uh, wellness brand, you know, um, and doing integration work there. We've got folks doing, you know, LGBTQ and, BIPOC integration groups, support groups, nonprofits, got mm-hmm. folks working in research and policy and advocacy. So it's really been amazing to see what, what everyone is doing. So there's no one right way of being part of, you know, of this space. I think that's one of my main things um, that I've learned. And what was I love, last... I, lo- I love that. No, there is no yeah. one right way. Of course. Yeah. Um, what was the last thing that I asked? I asked, um, if people are going to stay underground mm. to work and be facilitators, if do we do have those conversations? Because that seemed to be what people thought they would do a year ago when Oregon, before Oregon opened up. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a really important question for us all to think about. Mm-hmm. How do I, what do I call myself? Like, am I a trip sitter, a guide, a shaman, a facilitator, a psychedelic informed practitioner, which is a title that a lot of our students are feeling comfortable with i'm a harm reduction worker an integration coach whatever it might be um a consultant you know um so there's there's a lot of choices and we all need to go through some kind of a decision making process around you know what's my risk profile what's my preferences and tolerance around risk and how do i counterbalance my that risk profile with uh, my reward profile like what does this mean to me like how important is it that i I'm doing this work and for who am I doing it for? Is it for me? Is it for my wife and kids? Is it for my community? Is it because I just feel really strongly that our current policies and laws are immoral and I just don't want to be part of that or limited by those laws. Um, You know, I I left a very cushy job being a director of an outpatient addiction center, Um, 10 staff, 130 clients. I just couldn't do it because 
there was so much trauma and, and a lack of healing that I could legally talk about and offer my clients. I was like, I just can't be part of this system anymore. So I jumped into mm -hmm. the psychedelics today boat. So that these decisions are really key. Like I might have like a, a, a salary cut. I might lose my 401k benefits and, you know, but I'm doing something that means a lot. And it goes back to that question we were saying before about, you know, about the money. Um, so yes, there a lot of students are staying in the underground because the legal system seems a little bit too complicated or a bit too um, unsafe. Um, and we don't yet have enough data in a sense to know that, you know, is this a, a model that I want to work in for some people? If you're a psychologist or psychiatrist, it's a bit safer. You might feel, yeah, I can take, I can dip my toe into those waters because I've got my license. I'm going to do that. But for some folks that are coaches, that are guides outside of Oregon, there's not that much you can really do just yet, you know, in a legal way. You can say I'm a harm reduction coach, an integration coach, a psychedelic informed practitioner. You can go work in retreat centers in Jamaica and Costa Rica and Mexico and do that stuff. 100%. We've got quite a few students that are working, say, in London with their clients, and then they're meeting their clients in Amsterdam to do medicine sessions there. And then they're coming back and continuing to do the integration work so that they can still stay within the legal laws of it. They're not doing the medicine in London. They're going to Amsterdam for a week and seeing a couple of clients there a few times a year. So there's other ways of doing it, or they're staffing a couple of retreats in Jamaica for a month. They're doing like three retreats back to back. And, you know, that is going to keep them going until the summer, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so there's I've, ways of getting around it. Yeah. Okay. Painting those pictures is really important for listeners because I do think that if you're not in the space, but you're, you know, I, I call it tire kicking, but if, if you're just curious how people are doing this and you assume that either you have to live in Oregon and practice in Oregon or you're breaking the law, then it's true. There are so many creative ways that people who who want to stay on the right side of the law for for all the obvious reasons and for reasons that I think are more for the greatest good because we're trying to move into a space where um, what we're doing is legitimized, I guess, for lack of a better word. So, you know, if you're doing it legally, then I think that, that um, there's a lot of um, validity. <laughs> validity, validity that we bring to the space that's brought to the space. Um, so, um, the, one of the, one of the more creative combinations of how people can work together. Um, we work with a licensed therapist for our microdosing protocol and integrative microdosing protocol that we offer. And she, when she's working with clients for macrodoses, she partners with someone that's local to that person. And she does the intake and the integration virtually from afar. So she's not there for the medicine portion of it. And something that she said that I thought was interesting is if that, because as we know, when you take a large dose of a psychedelic, you know, we don't quite know which direction that's going to go or which discomfort is going to come up. Right. And so she said that over time, she's realized that not being there has actually allowed more it's made her closer to her clients because she doesn't run the risk of doing something wrong in that moment. I mean, obviously she's giving up the opportunity to do something right. That can also be quite bonding, but it's given her just more flexibility with her client to like, okay, you have to trust me. I'm going to connect you with this person. You trust me. So there's that trust too, that's established. So I think that you'll find that graduates of your program, a vital are going to, they're going to partner 
it's very possible that they'll partner in ways if they haven't already. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Like there needs to be a whole range of relationships that do not yet exist or they do, but they're mm-hmm. underground. Yeah. And mm-hmm. there, you know, ultimately there's going to be prescribing and diagnosing. Yeah. There's going to be the administration of injections and IVs and, and, you know, medications being dispensed, but ultimately, you know, I, th- I feel like there's a really important piece. This is new, but it's also ancient. Mm. And there's a lot of evidence we have from the centuries going back that humans have used medicines, you know, with non-ordinary states of consciousness for healing. So I think we can justifiably say that to anyone that asks us, whether it's a police officer or a lawyer or, you know, whoever it might be, or an employer, you know, and we can also say, well, look, look at this research that's coming out of Johns Hopkins, you know, or Imperial College, or look how many people have been treated with ketamine now. And just mind bloom, quarter of a million treatments that they've had. Just, just that one company with, with that home ketamine. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the amount of naturalistic research we can find on Reddit of people using psilocybin, you know, for depression or looking at microdosing and the benefits too. you know, something that Jim Fadiman said around um, women's menstrual cycle. And it seems to me that's actually one of the, the main benefits of, of uh, microdosing that most women have more than anything else, perhaps, or the sleep routine, for example. And it's like, wow, so we know a lot already. So yeah, these might not be clinical trials, you know, that's going to be FDA approved, but gosh, we, we're standing on the shoulders of ancient giants and, and contemporary giants with all the data coming through, you know, Reddit and underground signal groups and WhatsApp groups. Like we just have a lot of knowledge and a lot of community that when that is birthed into the mainstream in some new iteration, we're going to see, gosh, aren't we a beautiful people? Aren't we, aren't we doing amazing work here? And gosh, what were we so scared about before? And why were these illegal? You know, And I think we're just going to have to go through a real healing process around our systems and a lot of forgiveness as well of, of what we've collectively been part of. It's like a great remembering, I think, about our ancient traditions. Yeah. That would be my dog. I guess he's decided to join hey. the conversation. Hey, I can there. also edit that out. Thanks, Dewey. <laughs> Um, the great remembering. Yeah. I, I do wonder, I mean, I think there's already been a reconciliation, uh, um, cannabis helped to, to start questioning at a greater scale of why are people incarcerated for this plant? Right. And so those questions started happening at a more mainstream level in the last decade, I would say, um, and so I think that it's been a, an easy add-on to ask the same questions as it relates specifically in my mind to psilocybin because they both do come from the earth, mushrooms and the cannabis plant. And so it just, it's a very, it's for me, I feel like it's an easier conversation to have. This is nature, you know, yeah. and as we know, there's an organization decriminalized nature, which has done amazing work in various municipalities. Um, in the U.S., I don't, actually don't know if they're international. Maybe you have an idea there, but I don't know. Yeah, I, th- I think there's other comparables, but I think decrim nature is mainly America. Yeah, it's amazing to see what's happening in states and in towns like Massachusetts. I was talking to a student today, and she, there's like you know towns there where it's been decriminalized, and you know she was a doctor, you know, doing family medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, so she can now have certain conversations with people because you know she could reference well the laws in my town or in my state have changed. Right. And so my, my clients, my patients are now asking me this information because they've read it in the newspaper. Oh, it's been decriminalized. So I have to be able to ask them. Like it, I think there's some kind of professional duty and liability there. If, if I say, sorry, I can't talk to you about that. 
even right. though we're seeing, you know, the, the world is changing. And one other thing I'd say, April, is like, it just doesn't make sense that at one point, you know, cannabis can be, um, you know, in schedule one and so can MDMA and psilocybin. And yet MDMA and psilocybin are FDA um, fast tracked breakthrough therapy medicines where the FDA said, yes, we really need these to come into mainstream commercialization because they're so much better than anything else we have based on preliminary data. And we want to help you get this to market as soon as possible. Psilocybin, MDMA and ketamine spravato, you know, and cannabis has been prescribed so much for so many different conditions around the world. And yet it's also a schedule one drug that supposedly therefore has no medical purpose and is, you know, very addictive and dangerous. And it's just not based in science and data and, 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 and evidence reality. It's, it's yeah, political, cultural, um, you know, stigma and, and repression. So I think we're kind of going through a massive rebalancing here of who do we trust? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And when, who, why was our policy like this for so many years? Fear. <laughs> that's, you know, mm. fear is the root of all of these things at, at, at some level, I feel like. Um, I do. I'm curious, you know, because medical experts, if you have, if you have, an, if you're an MD, why would you be compelled to enter into Vital's year-long program? What, what are you going to learn, right? Because, you know, doctors kind of think that they know a lot. A lot of them do anyway. Um, and if you don't have any medical background, the reasons why you would enter into this program make a, into Vital make a lot of sense, right? And you feel like, oh, uh, an imposter in a way, if you don't start to collect these different certifications so that, you know, you feel like you're prepared to lead someone through these journeys. But I do feel like doctors and medical experts do have a lot to learn when it comes to sitting with somebody um, who is in an altered state. So can you talk a little bit about what they're going to learn in the program that will augment what they already know about working with patients? Yeah, I can throw out a few ideas that will help with that. So one of the data points we got from our report was that 50% of participants wanted to be and do facilitation, kind of be a guide or a sitter. That was something they wanted to do, they're interested in. 50% said, no, actually, that's not my primary reason. I want to do something else. And most of them said, I want to stay in my current career, 47%, but just, just move in a slightly different trajectory within that career or just get this training and then see you know, what comes up inside. So that's mm -hmm. really, really key to think. So not everyone needs to be a facilitator here. Um, and... Oh, let me see. Yes, I think just trying to read my own writing. I'm, I'm a bit like a doctor myself if I can't read what I just mm -hmm. wrote. Mm -hmm. I think part of what we're going through is like a remembering, but it's also an unlearning. So me as a, as a social worker, as a psychotherapist, I have to unlearn so much of what I was taught at university so that I'm able to, to sit with somebody using psychedelics or thinking about using them or that has used them without getting in the way of their experience and their meaning making um, without stigma, without knowing the answers, without being the expert. So I have to do a lot of unlearning there. And I think definitely doctors, more than perhaps anyone, have more unlearning to do mm -hmm. because of the way that they've been trained. You know, they've gone through often seven to 10 years of medical training with the only bit of information they ever heard about cannabis and psychedelics as being they are dangerous drugs and how to diagnose someone with an addiction. Literally, there is pretty much zero training about any medical uses 
or any historical uses in a ceremonial, traditional indigenous, or even the 1950s, 60s, 70s research happening with psychedelics. Mm -hmm. So they have a, so much unlearning to do. And I feel like, you know, why would Vital be a good course for them? It's because we bring together so many different modalities and disciplines and traditions, not just the, the medical, the clinical, or the theoretical. You know, we include neuroscience and neurochemistry, yeah. You know, we look at the FDA trials um, we bring on researchers to talk about their work, but we bring on, you know, shamans and space holders and, and policy activists and folks that work for nonprofits, harm reductionists, you know, ceremonial guides and, and group integration coaches. We bring on all of these people um, and folks that are working more in the business side of things. So we can really get a, a just a 360 view of what what are we going through right now in this remembering, in this awakening. What is it that we need to relearn and unlearn? And particularly for a lot of doctors and medical folks, it's that we're not just a body made up of cells and lots of separate systems. Oh, I've got the respiratory system and the digestive system and you know, the cardiovascular system. Okay, yes, so those do exist. And there is a greater whole that is body, mind, spirit that we are all connected to. And there is energy that moves through them. And sickness passes through these as one experience and wellness passes through these systems as one experience. And they're constantly in a little dance together. So when we just start to decompartmentalize our sense of the body, the mind, the spirit, and we start to learn about our sense of place in a social environment, like we have to heal as a community and as a culture and a collective. And so that's what Vital does. It's like, I'm not just this patient with a, a diagnosis. I am a family, I'm a community, I'm part of a society, and I'm experiencing whatever my culture is going through right now. So war, fear, trauma, persecution, you know, poverty, uncertainty. That is part of my sickness, and I have to really meet that deep intensity in order to heal what it is that that is bringing up inside of me and with my family and community. And so we're, we're just re-evaluating what it means to be sick and to, to be healed and in a sense, the healing has to include where the sickness and the trauma is coming from. And that is happening on very profound, I think, archetypal um, infrastructural levels of our collective existence, beyond which I have no idea what they are, but I just know when. And that's why I was saying, like, it will take centuries just to sit with the not knowing. Like, our planet is 10 billion years old. Our universe is hundreds of millions of light years across. You know, there's 8 billion of us here in the world and we are probably ancient beings that have been here for hundreds of generations that we know nothing about. And we're fighting like crazy each other and we're deeply insecure and, and are traumatized. Mm -hmm. And psychedelics help us just to go beyond a little personal narrative of understanding, you know, limited versions of reality and of myself. So when we drop all of that, that I really do know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and thank God. So I can just sit with that and connect with other people that know nothing. And we can just look into each other's eyes and we can hold that awe and wonderment with being alive without no needing to know the answers just yet. And just sit with some of the questions of how to simply be in another's presence. That really helps us just to lay some really solid foundations. And so, yes, doctors need that. All human beings need that. And we can be part of just holding space for each other, families and communities together. Very well said. And I do think that the deprogramming <laughs> Um, 
for medical professionals is a huge service that 12 months with Vital can offer for sure. That makes a lot of sense to me. And to see that healing can happen in a variety of ways, right? Mm. Yeah. Not just through the medicine that we've been prescribed or that they have access to prescribing or modalities that they were taught in, you know, academia. So we are, we're out of time. And so I want to thank you for your time um, calling in from Israel. I appreciate you doing this late in your day and for being so on it, even though I'm sure you're tired. If you could leave our listeners with how we can learn more, how they can learn more about Vital, where they can find psychedelics today. Is there a direct email that they can get in touch with you or someone from your program if they do have questions? 100%. Yeah, you're welcome to email me. So I'm david at psychedelicstoday.com. Our main website is called psychedelicstoday.com. And you'll find all of our podcasts. We've got 450 episodes, articles, 100 plus, loads of events. A lot of them are free online events. Our training courses are psychedeliceducationcenter.com. Some of them are free again. Um, And then our 12-month vital course is vitalpsychedelictraining.com. Applications are open until january the 10th we'd love to see there and if you're also interested in this report that april and i have been talking about it's called the emerging psychedelic workforce and you'll see it there it's just on psychedelicstoday.com it's on our front page there great and we will link to that in our show notes as well yeah Yeah, without a doubt thank you so much david thank you for listening to this episode of the high guide tune in next week for our next episode And thanks again to our sponsor of likeminds.co, your trusted source for psilocybin mushroom products. You can find them online at oflikeminds.co and you can find The High Guide at thehigh.guide where you can sign up for our newsletter, our weekly newsletter. It's awesome. Thanks again.